Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. When an art and jewelry dealer in Arizona spewed offensive comments at Native dancers outside his store, he did more than just insult those with an earshot. His comments on what is now a viral video also renewed complaints about how non-Native store owners profit at the expense of the Native artists who provide the store's inventory. It's an age-old problem, and it's difficult to know ethical dealers from those who aren't. We'll hear about ways to make sure your Native arts dollars are going to Native artists right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A bill that would replace Columbus Day with the Indigenous Peoples Day failed to move forward in the Montana Senate. Montana Public Radio's Ellis Julin reports. After the bill brought by Missoula Democratic Senator Shane Morgeau was tabled in committee, its supporters attempted a legislative maneuver to bring it to the Senate floor for debate. But that was also opposed. Senator Dan Solomon, a Republican from Ronan, said the bill sponsor killed the bill himself with his description of Christopher Columbus during committee testimony. He starts off with, and I think I can quote with, accusing Columbus of rape, beheading, uh, amputation, slicing torsos in two, sex trafficking. You can imagine where this hearing went in a hurry. I have never in my experience been so mad. Morgeau, who is a member of the Confederated Salish and Kootenai tribes, responded to Solomon's criticism on the Senate floor, saying he couldn't talk about Columbus without including that information. Committee killed the bill, not me. And I don't know how you have a discussion about someone who was identified historically um, during his time to have done things that were not part of the norm without actually talking about those things. Historical accounts, including Encyclopedia Britannica, say Columbus's men pillaged villages to support themselves and enslaved large numbers of indigenous people for labor, sex, and sale in Europe. Some senators opposed to the bill said Columbus's contribution to Western and nautical history shouldn't be overlooked. The bill to replace Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day had dozens of supporters and no opponents during its committee hearing. Similar policies introduced to the Montana legislature have failed in every session over the last eight years. For National Native News, I'm Ellis Julin. Celebrations are taking place in Alaska in honor of Elizabeth Paratrovich, the Clinkett woman whose speech before the legislature is credited with helping to pass the nation's first anti-discrimination law. That was in 1945, nearly 80 years ago. The turning point came when she spoke out against a lawmaker who asked why people barely out of savagery should be considered equal. I would not have expected that I, who am barely out of savagery, would have to remind gentlemen with 5,000 years of recorded civilization behind them of our Bill of Rights. Those are words by actress and playwright Diane Benson, who used newspaper and witness accounts to reconstruct Paratrovich's speech. Just reading it just kind of sends shivers through your body just at how well-spoken she was and how she basically called out people that didn't want to vote in favor for the law and did so so eloquently. Betsy Paratrovich says she never knew her grandmother, Elizabeth, who died of breast cancer just before she was born, not long after her famous speech. Our people need heroes, and we were not permitted to have them for many years. 
But today, Paracharich says the story of her grandmother and her husband, Roy, and their fight for civil rights is embraced by a new generation of Alaska Native people because it opened the door to learning more about a time in history when there were signs in front of restaurants that said, no dogs, no natives, discrimination that became illegal on this day in 1945. First Nations Development Institute announced Wednesday a cohort of 30 beginning native farmers and ranchers chosen to take part in a two and a half year program to help build their businesses and strengthen land management. The program's goal is to increase local food production and food access in Indian country. The individuals represent tribes in six states. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. A Scottsdale, Arizona shop owner is under fire after he was caught on video spouting derogatory comments at Native dancers. One major criticism from viewers of the viral video is the man's shop deals primarily with Native-made art and jewelry. His actions bring up the history of galleries exploiting Native talent while also disparaging Native people and culture. So today... Today on our show, we'll hear from Native artists and gallery representatives about best practices from the viewpoints of both the seller and the buyer. We also want to hear from you. Are you a Native jeweler or artist who sells regularly at galleries? Tell us about your experience and maybe what you'd like to see be done differently in the industry. Join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also comment and post via social media. Our Twitter handle is at 1-800-99-NATIVE. And we're on Instagram at Native America Calling. If you're an artist, post some of your latest work under today's social media post. So today joining us from Phoenix, Arizona is Cody Blackbird. He is a six-time Native American Music Award-winning artist. He is Eastern Band of Cherokee and of Dakota descent. Welcome to Native America Calling, Cody. Thanks for having me. All right. So, Cody, you were one of the folks who recorded Gilbert Ortega Jr. Uh, making offensive comments out there in Old Town Scottsdale in front of the shop. Uh, what pro prompted you to start recording? Well, 
we were there um, doing breakaway segments, uh, about 10 of us uh, dancers, myself, performing, uh, doing some flute music. Um, when ESPN had learned of the Native Art Market and um, all they do on a cultural um, experience level of having performers there in the shop, um, they started the dialogue with the Native Art Market to be able to come in and have um, some breakaway segment opportunity that they would air on their Super Bowl Sunday coverage on ESPN. So we were there doing that. Um, at one point, it was brought up to go out into the street where the street was closed off for the ESPN events, and there was a Super Bowl sign that we would all go out in front of and um, get some segments there with ESPN as well. Um, as we're getting set up, Gilbert came out of his store and um, you know, started accosting, mocking, and, and just doing everything he could to antagonize and provoke. And Munti uh, Sinkwa um, is heard saying in the video, you know, come out into the street. But what was said as a collective was come out into the street in front of all of these cameras because there was about 10 ESPN cameras set up um, and saying come out into the street, share your racist views to the world. And... Um, you know, then from when he would not come out and he was hiding in his little store alcove, you know, spewing all this rhetoric, that's when I started to record. All right. So what we're seeing on video was just kind of like the last, the tail end of the whole incident, right? Very much so. You know, it mm -hmm. doesn't include where, uh, you know, Munti was spat at by Gilbert. Um, and it doesn't include the, the mocking war hoops uh, that he started to do. Uh, towards the dancers either yikes okay all right and um uh you know recent news is uh scottsdale police are charging uh mr ortega with some uh disorderly conduct um you know that that's uh, still out there but um you know after a couple of days after uh mr ortega issued an apology um, tell, tell us about that. What were the circumstances around the, the apology he issued? Well, I do want to make it clear that it was put out by the Scottsdale Police Department um, that they would be charging him with disorderly conduct, but there has been no charges filed mm -hmm. at all. In fact, I've spoke with the prosecutor's office, and um, they are um, investigating and looking into it further to see if the charges can be enhanced. Um, and to do everything to hold him accountable on that level. Um, I have been reassured that by no means the recommendations for disorderly conduct are going to be the final charges. Um, so that is a, a little point of, of good news that there seems to be some um, notice and care being taken by the prosecutor's office who wants to see um, justice happen. But. Um, yeah, most definitely. I, I think it's a um, situation in 2023 where, um, you know, it's sad that we have to go through this in our communities. And it's not rare. It's a daily occurrence across our communities that something like this happens. It's just not every day that it's caught on video. And it's not every day that it's somebody in that man's position that um, does this. Right, right. And uh, he did issue an apology and um, uh, directed, you know, part of that apology to you. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I believe that he's sorry that he got caught on video. 
um, I, I do not believe that he's sorry uh, for his actions at all, although I am um, glad that uh, verbally he has taken accountability for his actions. Um, it, it doesn't really mean anything uh, to just say I'm sorry uh, for what I did when, when you do something on this level. Um, just completely okay. Yeah, yeah, and and um, uh, I saw you mentioned he uh, uh, offered you a like a a peace pipe or something like that. That was that was not uh, offered to me. That was I walked up. Um, I was showing up to the Native Art Market to perform uh, the day after all of this happened, and as I was walking in, I saw him out on this on the sidewalk of the Native Art Market with uh, uh, the owners. And they were standing out there, and I walked up, and that's when Denise, uh, co-owner of the Native Art Market, said, and Gilbert, this is one of the performers that you uh, verbally assaulted yesterday. And he tried to reach his hand out to um, apologize to me, and I said, I'm not accepting your apology. And he had given flowers and a chinupa, a red um, pipe um, made out of pipe stone um, to the owners as a supposed, you know, apology. And it just really added insult to injury to, uh, you know, give an item that is from our ceremonies not supposed to be sold, not supposed to be, you know, handled in the way it was handled, and for him to just bring it over, it was insult to injury. Right, right. And um, what happened to the ESPN promo anyways? Uh, it never aired. Hmm. Um, as, as far as I know, it, it never aired, and uh, I don't believe that there's been a, a response as to why they chose not to. Yeah. Um, you know, working, you know, closely to that crew, um, you know, the ESPN crew there, uh, what was, did you hear any of their responses to all of this? Um, they probably heard, you know, overheard all of this happening at the same time. Uh, I'm sorry, what was that? Whose responses? Oh, the, the crew, the film crew from ESPN? Oh, absolutely. Um, we were hearing, you know, we're so sorry. You know, they, they looked at my brother. They said, we're so sorry this happened to you guys. Um, and he said, this happens to our people every day. They were, and they were telling all of us, you know, we're sorry that this happened. We can't believe this. This is disgusting behavior. Um, this, so they were clearly, you know, appalled at what had happened right and um you know you've had uh, a rough you know couple weeks uh definitely a couple days uh you know dealing with this incident and and um you know talking to uh, lots of people about it uh how are you holding up with everything that is going on i'm i'm doing you know all right um it, it definitely has been a crazy couple weeks, um, but it, it's got to be done. And I just want to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm glad this is causing a positive discussion because there's been a lot of anger and contention around what's happened. But it's important that we use this as a catalyst to create change within our communities and stand up against these types of situations and people. So that we can you know, come out on top of it next time, um, because this is not new. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, story. This is not a new situation. Um, so I'm all for using this in the best way moving forward. And it, it seems like um, that's what it's doing is creating conversation about how we can move forward. Okay. All right. And, um, you know, we're going to go to a break in just a little bit, but earlier you mentioned, um, you know, for him, for uh, Mr. Gilbert Ortega Jr. to be in his position, uh, you know, saying all this on camera. Um, you know, what position are you talking about? He's someone whose family and himself have made, you know, um, their whole livelihood and lifestyle off of, um, you know, Native art, Southwest jewelry, um, elements of art that come from our communities and artwork that comes from our communities. Um, that, that puts somebody in a position to where they should be doing good for our communities. Um, they should be an ally. They shouldn't be behaving like this and treating our people in such a way on a world stage like that, nonetheless, to you know, show that kind of character is just unacceptable. Right. Okay. All right. Uh, we're going to go to break in uh, just a little bit, but afterwards we have more guests. We are talking about um, how to know, uh, you know, whether the place you are buying art and jewelry from is, you know, coming from an ethical place and how you know um, Native artists are getting, um, you know, uh, compensation, fair compensation for their work. Uh, join us after the break. We're at 1-800-996-2848. The reservoir fed by the Colorado River that serves as the emergency water supply for 40 million people is at a quarter of what it's supposed to be. That has increasingly dire consequences for the 30 tribes in the river basin and the water rights they fought so hard for. We'll look at the immediate and long-range implications of the growing water crisis. That's on the next Native America Calling. Good day. Stink teeth. Medicaid and CHIP cover many children's dental services, including teeth cleaning, fluoride treatments, and filling. For more information about children's dental health, contact your Indian health care provider. Visit insurekidsnow.gov or call 877-543-7669. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy sitting in for Sean Spruce. We're talking about sourcing Native art respectfully and ethically today. If you're an artist with thoughts on how to recognize galleries that are responsible to the people who provide their inventory, you can join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Um, joining us from Scottsdale, Arizona is Heather Tracy. Heather is a co-owner of the Native Art Market. She is Navajo as well. Welcome to Native America Calling, Tracy. Hi. 
How are you doing today? We are doing pretty good. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, so we just heard from uh, Cody. He's talking about the um, incident that was caught on uh, video just last week before Super Bowl. Uh, he mentioned Native Art Market. Um, I want to uh, bring you in as the Navajo, you know, Navajo owner of Native Art Market there in Scottsdale. Uh, and I want to ask you, what is the environment in Scottsdale for uh, Native people, Native jewelers? Uh, Native Art Market is the first and only Indigenous-owned gallery in Old Town Scottsdale. Um, it caters to Native small businesses. We're kind of one of the first of its kind, um, starting with our outdoor market. Our whole mission was just to create safe spaces for Native Americans to um, provide their art, their culture. Um, we're the first of its kind and being accepted by the city. Our neighbors are having a harder time accepting it, but we're working through that. Um, this whole everything else that's happened, I think only encourages people to be a little bit more sensitive to the art and culture that Native Art Market is bringing into the Scottsdale area. Okay. All right. And um, Heather, what is the art scene like in Scottsdale, particularly the Old Town area? I'm kind of thinking of it as like uh, Santa Fe, you know, the Old Town area of Santa Fe, the Old Town area of uh, here in Albuquerque. And there's also that old, you know, Old Town area of Gallup as well. It's very touristy. Uh, there are a lot of uh, native, you know, galleries and shops. Is it the same way in uh, that Old Town area? Of Scottsdale? Yes, there is tons of Native art, Native culture, um, tons of events that, well, annual events that go on. Um, Native art markets, outdoor market is every weekend, which is about 10 minutes away from Old Town, but always geared towards Native American art and culture usually. Right, right. And uh, did you and your other uh, co-owners um, you know, or why Why did you and your other co-owners want to open a store, particularly right there in Old Town? Oh, so it's actually a long journey. My mother um, was kicked out of the one of the art walks in Scottsdale for being a Native American, selling Native American jewelry. It was a conflict of competition with surrounding businesses. Um, at that time, it's when we realized that there wasn't a lot of access for Native Americans to sell direct to the public. And that's when we started our outdoor market back in 2018. Um, since then, our outdoor market has functioned for the last four years. And during the pandemic is when we decided to start the indoor market. Um, at that time, a lot of artists didn't want to go to different events and we wanted to make it their artwork still available to the public and have them create sales without actually being present. And that has taken off since we opened the doors the first day. We've gotten so much support from the community. Um, but the indoor market is now at our two years, just to open over a little over two years. And we've sent over $2 million to Native families in the 26 months we've been open. And that is almost incredible and overwhelming to think about because the amount of money that flows through Old Town is actually being dispersed through the Native communities, which is so awesome. Right. 
Right, that that's pretty cool. Um, you know, uh, was it a was it a difficult finding that location and getting there? Like, how, how did you how did you land a space there? It seems like a, a lot of these spots have been you know in in uh, someone's family for like generations. How, how did you guys get in there in two thousand eighteen? Well, the entire area, from what I'm told, is actually owned by a specific person that we've already previously talked about, but the location that I'm in, I'm lucky enough to have, um, is owned by Janie White. She only owns the five stores on this corner here, but her her father was the first mayor of Scottsdale. And when she had heard about us wanting the spot that was already available, it was kind of mid-pandemic when we looked into it. Um, she was so excited about Native Art Market wanting to be a part of this location. And... Um, it was through her that we actually lucked out and got this location, and it was two separate stores in the beginning, which we tore out the middle wall, and we didn't pay someone to do it. We physically had four Navajo women and a gentleman here with sledgehammers doing it ourselves on Halloween night, if I remember correctly. <laughs> the perfect night to be doing that, right? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you, could, I, you could hear everyone in the street having a bunch of fun, and we were inside make doing demolition work <laughs> <laughs> right so um so who are you uh what what kind of artists are you working with how did you make those connections with uh the artists who um you know come to the market and and that you represent in the gallery so i'm already the fourth generation to make and sell native arts and crafts for a living um, my great grandma was a roadside vendor um, up near the grand canyon you ever visit up there you'll see like these little just little roadside stands where you can pull off and shop with a native artist mm -hmm. um, that they built themselves and so I grew up in this industry and I started selling in Sedona in Grand Canyon area back when I was 20 years old to help get me through school and to help my grandmas out and so but it's through that that I kind of got to meet a lot of artisans and um, when I set up at the Sedona area I was pretty um, happy and go lucky and made a lot of friends. And when we decided to do the outdoor market is when we were able to utilize those contacts and they supported what we were doing. And when we started the outdoor market, we only had 10 vendors, but since then we've built a list of over 400 vendors that rotate out of that space. There's about 30 vendors a weekend. So it kind of worked in seamlessly with our new project of opening the indoor market. Um, those same vendors that we had a list of contact information on, we simply emailed, um, put a Facebook and Instagram notice up saying, hey, we're opening a shop. If you want to be a part of this, stop by um, on these three days. We can get you signed up and get you checked in with your inventory. And that simple, well, I guess it's two years in the making. Mm -hmm. <laughs> two years of making up this list of artisans that kind of worked in seamlessly with opening the indoor market. And it's kind of awesome. The technology really played a big part in it because everything's tracked through barcodes and then every artist is set up on direct deposits. So it's a seamless, um, if, something, if you sell something that weekend, you're getting a direct deposit, you know, that following week, which is almost perfect. Nice. All right. Um, so, so, uh, you know, there, there, you mentioned, you know, a lot of, uh, artists, you work with a lot of artists. So these, uh, art galleries, um, that we find in old town that we find that are stocked full of native jewelry, um, you know, silver work, uh, they come from, they're, they're made by native artists, right? 
Uh, depending on the gallery, I believe, you have to be really careful when shopping in Old Town. The, so the year that we opened up our outdoor market, and this didn't wasn't planned or anything, the same, if I think about the same month that we opened up our outdoor market was the same time that 10 different galleries got shut down in Old Town for misrepresenting Native arts and crafts. And it was all over the news. You can look it up. But mm. um, because of the Native Arts and Crafts Act, you have to tell people when it's not Native handmade. And there was apparently a big investigation where they were uh, imitating Native art, um, telling people it was Native handmade um, when it was actually being mass produced in the Philippines. Uh, so I think that cracked down on a lot of galleries to make sure that they disclose that information. But you never know. You, but always ask if it is the real deal, if it's Native handmade, if it is real turquoise, because there's a lot of imitation stones out there as well. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, you got into it just a little bit, but how do you be careful? I mean, how do you know whether a gallery is selling true Native art? I mean, are they, you know, are galleries, gallery owners required to put a big sign up front that says fake or not made by Native art artisans? Yes, they are required to um, disclose that, but the writing is not specified, so it can be a tiny little sign at the very bottom of the necklace that says Native American inspired. Um, Native inspired means that it's not Native made, that it's just simply imitation art of Native arts and crafts. Um, I, I love our gallery because we strive, we don't carry imports, we don't carry imitations. Um, it's all the real deal, real silver, real stones, so... But always ask, I think, is the best way to prevent that. And it is a law, and I think it's a law that Scottsdale owners take seriously now since the whole 10 um, Scottsdale galleries being shut down, that they take it seriously. But the only thing you can really do to prevent that is asking and making sure through the gallery that you're, you're buying from. Right, right. Um, so, uh, you know, on the other side, as an artist, um, how can artists protect themselves from making a bad deal? You know, maybe a new artist who's wanting to get their work in a gallery and, and work with a, a, a person like yourself, a, a gallery owner. How, how would they protect themselves from making a bad deal? I think do some research on the type of artwork you're providing. What I've learned is that um, there is tons of different types of art out there, and I highly encourage that um, because I used to just deal with pottery and jewelry, but there's now tons of artworks that I know. I would do your research, see the other people and their pricing on it. Um, Native arts and crafts, always keep in mind that it's a billion-dollar industry that Native Americans see less than 1% of, and you are actually the person that is helping this economy. So... Do your research before you go in. Don't take any type of verbal abuse from anyone because I know that was, I've seen, um, especially when I was a younger girl, artisans being mistreated, um, talked to a certain way, and I still hear about it going on today, but don't, don't ever um, allow your art to be carried by someone who treats you like that. Mm. Um, but, and do make sure that you're getting the right, um, right cost for your art. Know your worth <laughs> before you go in blindsided. All right.
right. Cool. Thank you. Uh, this is Heather Tracy, co-owner of the Native Art Market in Old Town Scottsdale. Uh, if you have a comment about today's show, we're talking about um, ethical tr um, selling and buying of Native American art and jewelry. Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's bring in another guest. We have uh, Candace Quam over in Zuni Pueblo, New Mexico. She's an artist with the Ancestral Rich Treasures of Zuni Cooperative. She is Zuni and Navajo. Welcome back to Native America Calling, Candace. Hey, nice to be back. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, you know, the, the Zuni um, Art Cooperative over there. Uh, tell us about that and how you guys uh, partner with Zuni Artisans. Sure. So we're a, uh, well, I should, probably should say we are the only native owned and run uh, cooperative artist cooperative in New Mexico as of now. So, but right now we started in 2019 and we had our first opening in July and how we got started is we had a small group of artists of any artists and we were just kind of spitballing and just like oh wouldn't it be really cool to have a space a gallery of our own so we can like dictate like really take control of our own market because we've never had that before ever since like outsiders came into our village we never had true control of our own market of our own say how we can actually say like this is how much it's worth and stand by it and not being talked down to or demeaned so we really thought of like oh wouldn't that be cool that's that would be great wouldn't it like just to represent our own people really build ourselves up whether you're a travel artist or you just stay home and make art or you know you're selling art for your family to what, what have you just to make art to put bread on your table right so we thought well, that would be really cool. And we had the luck of having somebody who was a cooperative starter, cooperative catalyst uh, from their organization pretty much said like, well, it doesn't have to be a dream. It can be reality. And they helped us to create our own cooperative and got us into a space here in the village, actually in a really prime location to start our own cooperative and really help out our fellow artists since if you've never been to Zuni. Uh, and just to give some context, I'm an artist, my parents are artists, their parents are artists, and so on and so forth. And in the, and that sounds pretty special, but in Zuni, that's not special at all. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in the best way possible. Um, most, if I toss a, toss a rock into the village when it's crowded, like I'll hit an artist, another artist, another artist, <laughs> uh, like a wife of an artist, and like so on and so forth. There's so many artists here in Zuni. And there was a study, I believe it was 80 80% of the households here have an artist who make art full-time or full or part-time. So with that in mind, we really wanted to create a space for our fellow artists to really grow and thrive. And just to give each other pointers, not to feed into this weird hostile environment of like native culture and native, like selling your own artwork. It can be pretty hostile and like really um, competitive, even among our own artists. It's, not even bringing the customer in, but once you add in the customer and galleries, and it can add another wrench into that process. So we wanted to create a safe space where our own artists could really grow and thrive and really talk to each other and kind of give each other pointers, like the sharing of knowledge and techniques. So we were very fortunate that we got to this far, and we hope to continue on further. That's that's awesome. Um, you know, so, so how do you, um, how do artists, you know, kind of, uh, um, 
uh, put a monetary value to their work. I, that seems like, you know, some of the hardest things for uh, any, you know, person to do, you know, kind of being from this, uh, uh, you know, humble place uh, to putting a monetary value on something. Uh, you know, you don't want to go too high. You don't want to go too low. You know, you're thinking about everything that went into it. Um, what would your advice be to artists for putting a monetary value on uh, a piece of art? Sure. So how we do this in the gallery is if, like an emerging artist, just to give you an example, let's say they're a beginning silversmith, uh, will gather a small group, a small committee of like um, experienced, I would say OG, or like really experienced silversmithers or metalsmiths, gather them together, have like a talk with them, like maybe even a workshop with this individual, and really kind of go through their 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 um, methods of pricing and just kind of go from there, how they price their artwork, give them tips how to do that. And, they'll, and the individual themselves can bring in their own artwork. They can get critiques from this group, whether it be from pricing or quality. They can totally free to do that. And just really talk with that person and just yeah, do your research. Ask your fellow artists. That brings so much help. And you can ask gallery owners and also buyers too, but I really think the knowledge is in your fellow artists. I mean, especially the older ones, they have so much knowledge to give you. It's just amazing how much knowledge they have. And just like your fellow artist is really just a wealth of knowledge. Um, right. But also, uh, if you do want to go like through a really, uh, not scientific, but like proven uh, way, there's a manual uh, from the First Peoples Fund. So that's, okay. they have a really good pricing method. <laughs> okay, Candice, we'll uh, be back with you right after this break. If you or someone you know is feeling sad, hopeless, or experiencing a mental health or substance use crisis, call, text, or chat 988. 988 is a new three-digit dialing code for 24-7 emotional, mental, or substance misuse support. 988 connects you to free confidential support. You are not alone in a crisis. Just call, text, or chat 988. For more information, visit 988.nm.org. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. There's still time to get in on today's conversation about sourcing Native art respectfully and ethically. Call in with a question or comment. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Uh, I want to bring back our guest, uh, Candice Kwam, artist with the uh, Arts Cooperative Gallery in Zuni, New Mexico. Uh, Candice, you mentioned first People's Fund as a, as a resource. Could you uh, tell us a little bit about that? Sure. They have all sorts of trainings revolving around pricing and emerging artists and just a whole bunch. Of, it's really a good source of information. But they do have a manual. I do think it's on their website. I believe you can request it as well. But they have three different pricing methods in their manual. I don't have it right in front of me. I wish I did. But they okay. do have some really good resources. But we do at the cooperative hold some um, pricing workshops. Nice. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you for that. Um, uh, w one question before I move on to our other guest here. Um, what would your uh, message or maybe even advice be to buyers of Native American art and jewelry? Uh, hmm, that's a really good question. Um, yes, just do your research. Um, again, uh, us artists really, really love to show off. Most of us do from my experience if you can take my small bit of experience. 
mm-hmm. for debate. But yes, uh, just do your research. Uh, most of us really love to talk about our own experiences. And if you want to ask other artists about like different types of artwork, most of us talk to each other, especially if you go to art shows. We love to brag about each other and just to like bring light to each other's um, business. So if you want to ask any sort of questions, we would love to talk to you. Even if like if you want to shoot an email to, I'm sure, uh, all the other guests, I'm sure they have a bunch of people, wonderful artists that you can get a hold of. But yep, do your do your research. Google is a fantastic research as well as um, social media. So right. go for your local um, native-owned gallery or cooperative. So. All right. All right, cool. Thank you so much, Candice. Uh, so joining us now in the studio here in Albuquerque is Dr. Suzanne Frick. She is uh, d- the director of Gallery Hojo at Hotel Chaco here in Albuquerque. Uh, she's also a curator and has taught art history for about 30 years. Welcome back to Native America Calling, Suzanne. Thanks so much for having me. It's, it's always an honor and a pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, you are listening to the conversation. Um, what are your What are your thoughts? I think it's been a great conversation, and I really have to second what Heather and Candace and Cody have said. Uh, it is a complex art market, and there are a lot of issues involved. And it sounds like what everyone is coming to is that we the the need to be respectful, and and the need to think of things as a dialogue that as in my work, whether it's as a scholar or a curator or a gallery owner, it, it's it's always about talking and, and listening, really listening to the artists, what they need, um, trying to be respectful of that, and trying to make sure that we're serving everyone as best we can. Right, right. And, um, you know, I want to take it back a little bit. You are an art history, um, um, you know, instructor, teacher. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is the history of uh, trading posts and galleries and uh, their relationship with Native art art artisans? There's a really looking in the Southwest, there's such a strong relationship between the trading posts that came up in the late 19th century. Uh, A lot of it's been tied to the expansion of the railroad, expansion of tourism, expansion of people moving over here. Uh, A lot of these trading posts opened in areas, especially near the railways, and they became a major space for artists to sell their work, for people to come in and buy them. And they weren't confined to the physical space. They often would issue um, good old-fashioned catalogs. Some of some of us remember getting those in the mail, actual paper catalogs, and you could look through them, uh, and they might there, there would be selections of, of Navajo weavings or um, different items you can buy that could be shipped. Right, right. And uh, so, so there's a lot of, uh, you know, here in the Southwest, it, it seems like there's a lot of uh, gallery owners that are, um, you know, come from generations, uh, multiple generations of uh, gallery owners. So the, the owners right now, they've, um, you know, maybe inherited, uh, you know, their father or grandfather, grandmother's um, uh, book of, uh, you know, native artisans that they work with. Um, you know, how how do you how would you say working with uh, you know native artists has changed over time? If if um, you know maybe you you've seen that change over time. I can't speak to too much of the history of that, mm-hmm. but I can say that um, certainly in my approach, um, I think in the past it was more about types. 
Navajo weavings, not about the artists, not about individual voices. My gallery and, and a lot of galleries that I see, there are a lot of wonderful galleries that show Native art, um, focus on the individuals and in allowing each artist to be a specific voice. Okay. All right. And uh, is there a point where, you know, Native people started to better realize the value of their work? I mean, is this exploitive, uh, exploitative nature of dealers who strive to buy low and sell high completely in the past? Or um, I can't speak to the gallery galleries on the whole, but I think, um, pro no, I would have to say not really. I think that there are still a number of galleries that want to buy stuff very cheap and sell it at a inflated rate. Um, certainly as a gallery owner now, I'm very aware of the costs that go into maintaining a gallery. Uh, just keeping everything going is, is uh, well, I find it very challenging. Um, I feel very lucky that a number of artists have entrusted me to show and highlight their work. And uh, it, it excites me every day to walk into the gallery and see the pieces. It just makes me very happy. Right. And I was looking at the website and uh, you have a lot of um, uh, pretty awesome artists on the list there. Uh, how did you um, did they approach you or you approach them? How did you make a connection with them? It's been a mix. Some people have approached me and some people I have approached. And um, I again, I just I just feel so very lucky at the artists who've entrusted them. Currently, we have the work of uh, two young artists, David Naranjo, a 2D artist who brings uh, just an exploration of pottery, iconography, and symbolism into his 2D pieces, which are, they're just gorgeous. Jacob Fry, who is an amazing potter, and his pieces are gorgeous. Um, and we have a lot of amazing pieces in the gallery. So I'm just really excited that people have entrusted me to show. Yeah. Um, you know, pricing, what, what is that like with um, the artist? What is that conversation like? That's a challenge. That's a challenge I'm still learning to do. And it's, you know, I think it, it, certainly in this, it, it, most of us have a hesitancy to talk about money, but it is important to have those conversations. I try to be artists le artist led. If uh, an artist comes in, I let them price their work. And if it's, if it's not moving the way we would want it to, then we have a conversation about it. And I try to be respectful of what the artist's aims are. And I'm very appreciative that so far the, the people that I work with have been open to having a conversation. And no matter how we resolve it, I appreciate their openness to listening to me. Right, right. But yeah, pricing is tough just because there's so many factors that go into it. The artist's reputation and um, it doesn't seem fair because so often artists put so much time and effort into the work and we try to be mindful of that. Right. I mean, uh, you know, like Candace mentioned, you know, every other person in Zuni is an artist. Um, you know, my family, too. I have a, a, a bunch of, um, you know, Navajo silversmiths and jewelry makers in uh, my family, uh, you know, and um, listening to this whole conversation, especially when we talk about the incident in Scottsdale and um, he, listening to the comments from Native artists like this has been going on forever. This is how it's been um, you know what what's your advice or what's your 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 message to um, non-native uh, gallery owners who are who are doing this work today 
I can only speak to my only approach, which is mm-hmm. I, I always endeavor to be respectful. I endeavor to listen. When I make mistakes, not if, when I make mistakes, I'm appreciative of the, the artists coming to me and talking to me. And I always try to see it as a collaborative effort that I can't work. I, I would have no gallery without these fabulous artists. And I hope to give them value that if they come to me, that the value I can, of, of a beautiful place and the work that I put into promoting and talking about their work, it's, um, it's for me, a lot of it comes down to listening and, and, and just always trying to be mindful. Right. Right. I mean, there, there would be no, you know, all these old town, you know, downtown areas in the Southwest wouldn't be like they are if it wasn't for native arts. Um, so, so just how big is this industry? It's, it's astounding how mm-hmm. many, how much art imp- has, uh, comes out of New Mexico, how from different communities, both native and not native, art is a major industry in New Mexico. I don't have the figures at hand, mm-hmm. but it, it is uh, something that really impacts our statewide economy. If you look at Indian market, think about what happens there in just a short span of time, how much money comes in, not just to the artists, but to the hotels and the restaurants and all the other tourist attractions. It, it brings in so much revenue to our state, and we have so much to be grateful to our artists. Right, right. Uh, so... so um... You know, what is the history of how uh, art has impacted uh, New Mexico? Well, certainly since, you know, going back to the late 19th century, as as travel tourists came in, art was the main commodity that was being sold. Art was something that really uh, spurred the New Mexico economy as when it became a U.S. territory and state. Uh, it was very much about artists. And then, of course, the the influx of, of people in the early 20th century, a lot of these people coming in for, for health reasons because the air was thought to be healing after the pandemic of 1917. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of artists came in there. So we have you know Taos and Santa Fe being major artistic hubs. But now we're seeing arts coming from across the state. It's been it's really exciting to watch that smaller towns, you know, Silver City and uh, Tularosa, all these artists forming their own places. And, you know, what what um, Heather was just talking about, that's it's really exciting to see that coming. So I think art is and currently just a major source of income for the state, and it's only going to grow. Right, right. And um, what is the... Uh... I guess the the history or influence of uh, uh, non-native gallery owners and trading post owners uh, on native art. How 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 have they have had their hand in you know influencing or shaping you know supporting native art through history? That's a good question and tough to answer. There's a lot of individuals that go into it, a lot of specific people. I think a lot of artists could probably respond better. I think that it's definitely a mixed bag. I'm sure that there are some dealers who insist that their artists make things a certain way because that's how they want it. I know going back to those, the sales of Navajo weavings that would be sent back, people could choose colors when they bought it. So certainly the people who are making it weren't free to explore what they wanted. Um, I think 
it could be argued some places, it, it, some galleries have done a great job promoting specific Native artists. I think there's always room, always room to be, to, to expand. And um, I think sometimes in the art world, too many galleries and museums get stuck on the same people over and over. And we just see the same names getting brought up all the time. And it's, it, it would be great to see this group of people that we look to expand. Okay. All right. I want to go back to uh, Heather Tracy really quick. Uh, she's in Scottsdale, uh, co-owner of Native Art Market. Uh, so, um, Heather, uh, when you're working with other artists, uh, are you thinking about, um, you know, different styles and um, maybe uh, how you are also influencing um, maybe the, the current style of Native art and jewelry? Um, I like the... So we don't specify different types of artwork. We're pretty accepting and with open arms to any artist that comes into our shop. Mm -hmm. um, the great thing is, is that we no longer just have like jewelry and pottery. We have soap makers and a little food area where you can um, shop through fry bread making, um, the beans from the local tribe in the area. So we're pretty open to what we carry in the shop. We actually encourage people to be different because having that different style um, brings more to the shop, which is awesome. And seeing the same thing over and over again, especially in the Scottsdale area, we've gotten those comments. So when you come into our shop, you're able to shop over 400 different native small businesses, and it's beautiful. I mean, I it's chaos in the shop sometimes, but I thriving chaos and I think that people enjoy just seeing all, all different styles right right you know I, I personally also like to see those different styles of native art um, you, you know and and you know just recently buying a couple of pieces myself I've uh, you know looked and and saw that there are uh, you know some really awesome uh, young native people who are making like these really almost like a punk rock sort of um, you know pieces of jewelry and that's that's the kind of art that I really really like um, so uh, Heather where can we find uh, uh, more information about you and uh, the Native Art Market. So we have a website. It's going to be nativeartmarket.com. Um, we're also all over social media um, at Native Art Market. Um, that's TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Our TikTok's a little new, so we're still getting used to it. <laughs> um, okay. All right, uh, Candice, real quick, where can we find Arts Cooperative Gallery? Sure. So you can go to our web website, zunipublicart.com. Also, we're all, all over social media. Just go to Arts Co-op on Instagram and Facebook, and we're there. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, Suzanne, where can we find uh, Gallery Hojo? You can find us at our website, galleryhojo.com. That's H-O-Z-H-O. You can also find us on uh, Instagram, Facebook, a little bit on TikTok. We're also moving into that. All right. Cool. Well, thank you so much, everybody. We have reached the end of our hour. I'd like to say thank you to everybody. Uh, Cody Blackbird, Heather Tracy, Candace Quam, and Dr. Suzanne Frick. Join us next time. Tomorrow, we're talking about new concerns about tribal water rights as widespread drought, drought consumes the Western U.S. I'm Andy Murphy. 
Support for this program is provided by AARP. AARP creates and connects people to unique tools and programs, helps conserve personal resources, and tackles the issues that matter most to individuals, families, and communities. What AARP does might surprise people. For more information and resources, including member benefits, AARP advocacy, and more, go to aarp.org. Are you a Native American healthcare provider, recovery counselor, social worker, domestic and sexual abuse advocate, or traditional healer working in Native American communities? Dr. Ruby Gibson will begin a six-month advanced immersion in healing historical trauma. This online masterclass looks through the lens of a seven-generational recovery approach to provide powerful, proven modalities and is offered tuition-free to tribal members. Registration deadline is March 24, 2023. Info at freedomlodge.org who support this show. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.